Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Our Three Cents, a weekly podcast all about video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Heinz Baked Beans. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Heinz Hoops and Hot Dogs. And our special guest for this episode is an actor and performance capture artist extraordinaire, the one and only (laughs) Kezia Burrows. I feel like I want to say hula hoops or something. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not familiar with Kezia's name, then you'll certainly be familiar with her face and movements uh, as she played the lead in Alien Isolation, portraying Amanda Ripley, and has also provided motion capture and voice acting for games such as Remember Me, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, Horizon Zero Dawn, XCOM 2, Greedfall, and Bravely Default 2. You may have even caught her on your televisual screens in one of many shows, or in films such as Soul Reaper and The Lost Viking. What can I say but... Welcome, Kez. Oh, thank you so much. What an introduction. Thank you. (laughs) So, let us start out. We're a video games podcast. You are a video games star. But are you a gamer? Is gaming strictly business for you? Or does it also take the form of a pleasurable activity? This comes up quite a lot, actually, when I'm speaking to gamers. I'm always worried that I'm disappointing when I give my answer (laughs) because let me just preface and say that when I was younger me and my bro he had a Sega Mega Drive excellent yeah right and that so that's my main gaming life was was my memories of this which is you know John Madden 94 NHL hockey F1 world championship and the the game I loved most which I couldn't remember the title of and I had to I had to ask my brother was the one that was like rise from your grave do you know oh, it? Altered Beast. Altered, altered Beast. Beast. Yeah. Oh, God. Wow. I love that. From your clothes. That's it. That's <laughs> and that's really stayed with me. I love that game. And then my mates had the fun, like Sonic the Hedgehog. So I play those every now and again. I think probably one of the main reasons I haven't become a gamer is because I'm just not, I didn't get good at it young. And so, and in a way, I think it helps as an actor potentially. What I do a lot is the YouTubes. I absolutely love watching the gamers playing it and the kind of goggle box vibe of hearing them talk about their journey through either, you know, Alien Isolation or Observation or something like that. And just knowing the story myself or like my brother or my mates when they've played. So that's the kind of pleasure I get is the, the narratives of my stories mainly. I mean, I, I do like the platform games and I, I think it's really important for me to know how they work and how how gamers enjoy them and both sides of the camera and I and that's actually something I'm working on every time I go in now just to know more and more from the you know the cinematographer or the technicians about how the volume works so I have a massive respect for gamers and obviously you know they're the people I'm learning from in terms of how these games work so I'm kind of in awe of you guys and I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts and have you know learned quite a lot from just listening to you too. <laughs> Really helps. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're absolutely fascinated to learn more about the process behind performance capture, which has, I mean, obviously skyrocketed in recent years with the advancements in technology. I mean, back in the 90s, 
I can't imagine anyone strapped a little mocap suit on a plumber to faithfully capture the movements for Mario <laughs> or setting up uh, a rig of 16 cameras surrounding a hedgehog on a treadmill to portray Sonic. But, I mean, the more that technology and games have advanced, the more and more game devs are striving to replicate a more cinematic and realistic experience in their games. And, I mean, it absolutely boggles my mind how many... I mean, just how many different variations of movement must need to be captured for games? Because it's, you know, it's not like it is in films when you'll be on a performance stage, you're covered in dots and in a Lycra suit, and you do your best to ignore that, play out the scene, and, and there's a there's like a single definite outcome. It's one singular set of movements that the viewer has no control over. Video games, on the other hand, you know, the information needs to be in the game for so many different outcomes depending on how the player is controlling the character and permutations of those movements need to be logged for linking different pieces of movement together so that it flows seamlessly. I mean, I'm sure a lot of that is down to the coding and processing of the information that will be gathered through performance capture, but the process itself must be enormous. So perhaps we can chat uh, a little bit about that. I mean, you know, there's, there's several games you've done that, you know, don't use your likeness and your vocal talents like something like alien isolation you know there's plenty of games that you know you'll be crawling sneaking jumping fighting flipping sliding falling crying you know (laughs) you you, you have to be uh, contributing the full gamut of of physical movements dying there's a lot of dying a lot of dying (laughs) a lot of different dyings Perhaps you can talk us through uh, the process a little bit about some of uh, some of these games that you've worked on. Yeah, it was great what you said about just how much it's changed. I'm re- I really feel like I've lived through that from the performance side all the way from like 2009 to to more recently in terms of the motion capture alone. Back in the day, like well, the first game really I worked on or r- around the same time as Remember Me was 007 Legends, which was portraying all the the female characters in Bond, you know, who were actually voiced by Halle Berry or Diana Rigg. Amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, and obviously the technology has evolved so much since that that game came out. You can really see the development in the behind the scenes and just what the computer geniuses get up to. But from my point of view as well, the freedom that you get in the performance. So I remember sometimes what's strange is you as a motion capture performer only, which is just the movement and not even expression. And that then goes into performance capture is I had to do it to their voices, to their timbre, to their rhythm, to always try and get the authentic performance as possible, you know, like any other kind of acting. But also back then, it was maybe more in the realm of some kind of, we always described it, it's very hard to describe, but somewhere between theatre and television, right? Something that had to be Mm. slightly heightened, like you had to breathe in the character and all these things. And that was (laughs) definitely the deal back in 007 days when you had to kind of differentiate for one, these characters and really kind of get into their bodies because you're one person playing a lot of different physiques and then you're also <laughs> yeah. you're also trying to match your movements to their voice whereas also you know sometimes in the booth and I have to match my voice to the mocap performers the mocap actors movements and what I've noticed now doing it more recently is either I don't know how much more time because also over time as well as I'm sure you guys have noticed the narrative has taken more precedent maybe in some games you know it's it's seen as as important as the gameplay right Mm, yeah sometimes more so (laughs) right yeah yeah yeah. and I think a lot of the games I work on it feels like a lot of them are narrative driven when you're just doing the motion capture you still are given the time and Every set's different. Every volume you're in is different. The stage that you do the performance capture, motion capture in. But I've noticed 
now just the arc and the time you're given over the years everybody all of us are realizing what's needed right in every aspect of the gaming process to get that performance you're given more time and the head cams are different the suits are different you know now we have suits that don't need the the markers even you know it's evolved so much and the freedom for us as actors and the size of performance depending on the genre you know, I could go on. Because <laughs> <laughs> I imagine there must be so many just like little things that need to be captured in terms of movement, particularly if, if it's for a playable character that, you know, you need to get like running animations and jumping animations and stuff like this. How does that actually happen when you're working? Is, is it literally a case of saying, right, we just need you to run in 200 different ways. We need you to jump in you know this many different ways how does that work yeah again that's kind of evolved although still usually like you say there's so much of it you know we're talking hours and hours so I I remember specifically actually on remember me because I guess Nilin in remember me was very physical and obviously Mm. the platform game and the way she moved back then so this was about 2011 I think we would have just days doing gameplay moves you know doing the idols doing what we call wheels now you know going back into position and you've got to know your degrees interestingly enough that's what I discovered early (laughs) on and it's funny how it's just like a muscle right like practicing you do you have to do um, run across the volume run back across the volume crouch across the volume you know crouch back let's go halfway in between across let's change the speed let's go slow let's walk let's jog let's run so it's really quite demanding physically sometimes I mean it doesn't always happen like that these days you know potentially you could have other performers doing doing parts of a character if needed. So I know a lot of actors, for example, feel like you need to be extremely physically fit or they used to think that. Yeah. But of course, that's not always the case. But yes, like you say, you have you have whole days where you're just doing the gameplay. And so it's, it's quite regimented. So you have the degrees you have to do, whether it's 180, 60, looking one way, looking down, looking up. Just covering as many generic, I guess we'd call them, poses yeah. as possible that a character mm. would do. Goodness me. I mean, it must be it must be so mentally exhausting as well, just trying to keep track of, of where you're going. Like I said, to have that sort of precise focus on so many different little things. But you're so right. Yeah, it is. It's breaking it all down, the stuff that we just do naturally and just making sure it's captured, you know, in, in all those different degrees. So moving on then from like the purely physical work to the purely vocal work. And we'd love to chat about some games that you're present in solely in audio form. And there's there's two great examples of your work in this vein, stemming right back to Everybody's Gone to the Rapture in 2016, which is a, a fantastic narrative indie game from the Chinese room, the, uh, the guys behind Dear Esther. The other example is a a bang up to date game and one that Minty has spent a lot of time with this year, and that is Bravely Default 2. Now, these games couldn't be more different in terms of style and scope, one being a small indie game developed in the UK and the other being an internationally developed JRPG from one of the biggest games companies in the world. And I imagine that the process behind working on them was, was probably very, very different as well. I'm going to hand over to Chris because Chris has been re-familiarising himself with Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Chris? It's a lovely game. I hadn't played it since it originally launched on the PS4. And, and to go back to it in the last week, it's it's just a really fascinating game. And like you mentioned, Jonathan, it's a game of very gentle exploration. It is a, a walking simulator in the vein of Dear Esther. But it, it basically plonks you down in an empty English village that's been painstakingly modelled and then asks you to kind of look for clues via ephemera or audio recordings and and also by following strange lights which coalesce to retell fragments of events that have happened in this town to kind of piece the story together 
it's it's really quite unique in that it has an almost total lack of physical characters or, or protagonists in the game and instead everything you're you're doing is is stuff that has happened before that you're just picking up on sort of thing and it's it's really interesting to play through a title that exists basically entirely through environmental storytelling and narrative pieces and as much as you know games had used maybe audio logs or text notes or, or messages on computer terminals for years at that point to flesh out a world so thinking back to Deus Ex or Bioshock or or even Alien Isolation that came out the year before everybody's gone to the rapture but I, I think this is one of the only examples alongside maybe Gone Home that came out a similar sort of time Ooh, yeah. where the act of just pouring over the logs of things is in essence the entire game like even other kind of notable walking simulators around that time like firewatch still revolves around a relationship between characters in real time even if they're only connected by voice they're still very present and and with you as opposed to things that have happened in the past and i think you know rapture is just a very special artistic experience like playing it now it's it's five or six years on from when it came out and it still looks insanely good they managed to capture a sort of near photorealistic version of this fictional english village it has a, a lovely full orchestral score from Jessica Curry, which you know has moments of real incredible calm with kind of soft vocal tracks, as well as real emotional swells as well that give the weighty revelations of the game like a proper reverence. And most relevantly for today, obviously talking to you, Kez, it has a really good vocal cast. And I think for a game like this, they, they basically had two options as developers. You either double down on the total em- emptiness of the world and just let all the story be delivered via text or use voice kind of sparingly to put life back into this village that's been frozen in time. And the vocal work is is really exemplary, and it, and it gives the, the disembodied kind of fragmented events of the game's narrative a proper real-world grounding and an appropriate gravitas as well that, that never feels overplayed. One of the things that I get frustrated with sometimes in games, like a, a year or two ago, you might remember Jonathan and Minty, I played a game called The First Tree. Sounds like one I would have blanked out. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my main criticism of that that sort of walking sim was that the vocal execution and the writing, it was really overwrought and it was it was forced and it just felt quite unnatural because of that. And it's been a real joy and everybody's gone to the rapture to see that the care that was afforded to the visuals of the thing, like, you know, every brick of, of the old pub in the town or the abandoned bicycles or whatever else, that was extended to the script and the script's delivery. So a big bravo on that one, Kez, and, and everyone else involved. Uh, it's, it's a really nice game. And it's one I think is is really worth playing these days. Like, it's much more accessible. You can grab it on the PC now as well as the PlayStation. It kind of, you know, went through its period of exclusivity with with Sony's machine, and now it's, it's available on, on the home computer as well. But yeah, I mean, what was that project like to work on where it's not a conventional narrative either? You know, it, it is a, a fragmented story. How is that to kind of deliver and be part of, I guess, as, a, as an ensemble cast? Gosh, that was such a good story, wasn't it? You've just It was so nice just hearing you talk about it then, just, just to remember. And do you know what? It was really interesting when you said that you felt that the performances were believable and real for you within them, no character being there, because I don't know if you know or not, but that was actually the same director of Alien Isolation, Kate Saxon, who is brilliant. Ah. She comes from a theatre background. She's now got extensive credits in television as well, and she's worked in games for years, and she's... It's really, really important for me anyway, the director that you have on a gaming project because they're the kind of 
translator if you like especially depending on your experience in games for what the the devs want what the animators want and lots of the time you know we don't know the story we're working with in this case we did and I think Kate definitely comes at every game you know her role is as the director of the narrative to to get the actors to to bring out the performances and what was unique and I haven't done since with everybody's gone to the rapture although we did for Alien Isolation 2 we had a table read like you would for any other kind of acting genre it doesn't always happen with games so you've got to meet the other cast face to face for one which sometimes you don't obviously if you're in a booth we also then instead of being in the booth and saying the lines we were put in a room and we had a boom and like me and my husband for example there's there's a scene when we're kind of looking over a bridge and not to give any spoilers but you know something dramatic's <laughs> happening and there, there needs to be a lot of movement in it and we were given the opportunity to do the scene as you would I guess kind of in again in the realm between theatre and TV but we were able to move and not worry about our feet stamping or anything like that we were we were doing it for real if you like as much as possible without yeah. set and it's great to hear that maybe that translated so that's what everybody did in it not only did we get a chance to meet each other to have some kind of camaraderie have a connection which obviously is very important for performers but we were also able to act it out physically as well as vocally and I, I know for me personally that was that was was really helpful to do mm. that and obviously it was great material it was really good writing and you know there was there were, it, it has that archer's feel doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> it does it does but i think you're you're absolutely right as well about that the idea of it does almost feel like a theater performance because when when you come across those those bits of narrative you know that, that are acted out in that that really interesting visual way in the game with kind of the, the almost starlight telling the story because it's taking place in a, a small, almost enclosed space that, that you can then move about, it does feel like a piece of interactive theatre, like where, where the actors are actually, you know, mixing with the audience in a way, because you are, you can move around, you can direct what you're looking at within that that little scene. And it's it's really interesting to hear that that is, that's how it was recorded, essentially, because I think that does really, really translate and, and gives it a very different feel. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. I don't know if they used that as reference when they came to do the movements, but, you know the fact that you had somebody pulling you back in the scene and you didn't have mm. to worry about your avatar in that situation. You know, there's pros and cons for every style of doing performance, isn't there? Whether it be on film or whether it's performance capture, motion capture. But um, I definitely say the, the positive in that was that you just ha had complete freedom not to think about anything but your performance. And yet you're still using your yeah. imagination, right? Because you don't have the set, which I think's a, a fantastic. I love that. The fact that you, you know, you, you always have to use your imagination. But I think we had that world painted to us really well. And in the read through, I remember they gave us an incredible, you know, Remember Me did this too. And most games do, even if you're actually coming in to do motion capture, they'll give you an outline at least of what you're going to be working on. But what was great with these guys, with everybody's gone to the rapture, we had the whole world put out in front of us, what it looked like. They had all the images already, you know, of course, there's so many years put into these games before it even gets to me. I'm very aware of mm. that. And then you're suddenly kind of given this rich world to work with. And I mean, gosh, that that world was just incredible and relatable as well, actually. You know, it's not, it's not more so these days, but back in the day, it wasn't as common that you'd get to work with something that you could be so familiar with and, yeah. you know, relate to one-on-one -on -one like, like everybody. Lovely. So on the, on the other side of the coin from, from, from the, the quaint small English village set 
developed by a small indie dev team in the UK. We also have Bravely Default 2. Now, I'm going to hand over to Minty on this one because he's the resident JRPG aficionado. He is. Minty, perhaps you could introduce us to Bravely Default 2. So when we look at the the back catalogue of games by Square Enix, I guess there are two diverging paths when it comes to your classic JRPG. You've got the, f- the very early Final Fantasy games, and then you've got things like uh, the Dragon Quest games, and then the later Final Fantasy games. The early Final Fantasy games would focus on uh, four destined heroes who wield uh, the powers of the four elemental crystals who've more often than not been gobbled up by some dreadful evil beastie and it's up to you and three of your friends to go and recover the crystals defeat the evil etc etc these are lovely i wouldn't say safe or predictable but they're they're comforting in their familiarity. Um, going back and playing things like the first Final Fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy three and four, where we have these, um, where we have these very distinct and reliable story beats, is really nice. And then you've got things like Final Fantasy six, VI, seven, where it started to become more focused on um, the characters, their individual uh, struggles, their aspirations, hopes, dreams, fears, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which then under pins a, a far grander narrative that was unshackled from this uh, this set piece of get the four crystals back defeat the evil thing like, the scope was much much broader as the developers had more scope and more powerful hardware so they could really push the boat out on what could be done and bravely default too they share the same scope of the later games with these these wonderful, uh, fully realised characters, but also places them in the the old school, the familiar setting. We've got the four heroes, one with the power of the wind crystal, the fire crystal, the water crystal and the earth crystal. And then it also takes the uh, the old school job system, which we love. You see so many named and important characters who who are dressed up in quite a quite a caricature of, of a fantasy role. For example, you've got the black mage who is dressed all in black, carries the spell book, wields the staff. You've got the, the shield master who is completely encased in armor and has a, a shield at least the size of them. And then uh, in Bravely Default 2, we have the wonderful sword master, Gladys, played by Kez. With, with a game like this, because there are so many uh, jobs, there are so many classes, it's it's quite a hefty cast list and people are just sort of popping in and out and in and out. And one of the things I really love about this game is how each character's job is given to them by an asterisk, which is a rock that contains the distilled wisdom and expertise of these different jobs. So warriors have them, mages have them, etc., etc. Much, much like they are in real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and because this is the main combat mechanic in the game, you are sort of chopping through all of these different people with their different jobs. At, at, you know, at a fair lick. I mean, this game took me about seventy-five hours to complete. But even in that time, I ended up with, I think it was 24 asterisks. That's 24 named characters, 24 really developed backstories, which for the most part, you'll you'll only see for a good half an hour in each chapter before you, you know, defeat them, 
steal their asterisk and they're left wearing just just a vest and some trousers instead of their their big armor and half a cape and that sort of thing so i think it's a real triumph of marrying the the old school simplicity of the early jrpgs with the rich narrative scope of the uh, of the later jrpgs that we see oh what a rich but comforting game it's so new but it's also so familiar really really wonderful fantastic it's it's a game that i've not got round to playing yet but i mean i'm familiar enough with jrpgs to 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 know that they are you know they're, they're story driven games uh, primarily but also you know being developed on on the other side of the world so kes how did the the experience of recording the vocal work for gladys and i, I think is there another character you voice in the game as well oh yeah margaret actually as well that yeah the daughter i don't know if i should say too much to give anything <laughs> away but yeah there's no story spoilers. there's a character called margaret who um has a time of it <laughs> let's just say that <laughs> so how did the how did the process uh, differ then working on a game like this in such different obviously it's different in tone but it's massively different in terms of scope and scale to something like rapture yeah absolutely it's just again it's just so interesting for me to hear you guys speaking about it because every time i go into a job I remind myself of of how rich and how long a lot of these worlds have been going before I come into them. So for example, I wasn't that au fait when I got the job with this particular game. Obviously, I did my research before, which is why I think sometimes it's really helpful to be a gamer, mm. to be on top, <laughs> especially in my in my profession. But then equally, you know, a lot of the time when we do come into the room like this, for example, we don't know what we're recording. So we're relying once again on the director and potentially the client to talk us through and to guide us in the performance they want. So it's quite it's quite a skill sometimes, depending on how much material you have. Obviously, Square Enix did the Final Fantasy a King's Glaive as well, which I work with them. And it is, it's you're well, you're incredibly well looked after and they're really, really lovely. One was very much in a motion capture sense and one was the voice. And this actually was only about two to three days. And within those days, it would be about two to three hours recording. So it was done relatively quickly and you would have the breakdown of your character before you arrive. But when you're there, you actually, it was Justin Villiers who also did Remember Me which was done very much like in the alien isolation sense where we were we were doing voice and expression and everything it was the whole performance but again this this being voice we had i'm just trying to remember we did have the visuals at this stage so and i was able to see my character which is just massively helpful obviously yeah. to see gladys <laughs> for example who is this incredibly strong woman and of course like you say it was very i i guess heightens the word compared to the more naturalistic games that i tend to do so it was so much fun to get your teeth into making bold choices about these characters and trying to you know and luckily having a great director there to to guide you on that journey who knows a lot more about the project and then having the clients chip in so they can you know i think one of our roles as voice actors specifically is to be able to be quite malleable and offer up quite a few different options and then so it's really exciting for me sometimes when I get to see these games being played like I said you know on Twitch or or on YouTube and seeing what they've what they've chosen and what, what's come out and seeing the fully formed character it's the only way really only kind of genre of acting where you are also kind of anticipating what exactly is going to be shown you know because it's such a collaborative process yeah I, obviously when I did find out what the game was I like always I'm so excited to find out more about the world and then like you guys have 
we've been talking, you know, this game's incredible and it's so warming. I just love, you know, I'm so glad that these games still exist and are still so yeah. popular. Yeah. One of the things I love about these sorts of games is, like Minty was saying, like, it doesn't matter how many of them you play. Like, the characters, like, they're most, I mean, they're all archetypes, you know. They are, like, like we said, they're heightened. They're almost caricatured. But there is, they are just so comforting, you know, and and sometimes what you need is good old fashioned escapism. You need to get yourself lost in a world where you can be anything. There's magic, there's some dragons, you know, there's people wielding swords 10 times as big as a house or whatever. And uh, yeah, it must be it must be a lot of fun just to, to really sort of get your teeth into 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 that sort of uh, that sort of rich world do you know what's so important you've hit the nail on the head of why I love doing this job so much and you know why I've done it for so long because I do <laughs> the, the world you go into the characters you play you know there's no other kind of acting like it where you can just go and be anything and the world you know you can be in space or you can be you know in a devastated earth or in a magical fantasy world yeah <laughs> so it's it's quite apt that we're talking with you today because it is the 35th anniversary of Aliens, the extraordinary sci-fi action sequel directed by James Cameron. And Alien Isolation, the game in which you star, Kez, is, is very much seen as a canonical bridge, I guess, between those first two films, between Alien and Aliens. And you play Amanda Ripley, the daughter of Sigourney Weaver's Ellen Ripley. And your character is actually alluded to in Aliens before this game was, you know, then developed like 25 years later. And I remember <laughs> when this game was announced and, and it, it seems like there's never not been an Alien game coming out, <laughs> especially when like the Alien versus Predator games were oh, developed. You know, that, I, mean, I mean, the games are good, <laughs> the films are terrible, but let's, yeah. let's not dwell on that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a mashup concept that works really, really well for video games. You know, it was like, it was put this and this together equals fun. Uh, or, or, you know, in my brief experience playing, I think a demo of Alien vs. Predator on the Sega Saturn, it resulted in, I mean, a, a swift changing of pants and, and <laughs> s- several sleepless nights. Um, I just remember everything just being so fast and I couldn't I couldn't deal. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and obviously those, those games were eventually capitalised on and turned into movies. And then that produced another vein of income uh, you know to tap for the studios and i mean we've been entirely saturated with alien games of i mean wildly varying quality and and genre as well because i know there's like there's an alien pinball game at one point but when alien isolation was announced that they made a really big deal about the fact that this was actually part of the alien canon this was you know this was official and and it wasn't going to be an all guns blazing action game you would be slowly pursued by just one xenomorph for the whole game and it was going to be a properly intense survival horror experience that that felt representative of the tone of the first two alien films now here at our three cents regular listeners will know that that we aren't strong of nerve (laughs) when it comes to tackling horror games but in preparation for this episode we all three girded our collective loin and dove deep into alien isolation to to, to properly experience it so we could uh, you know so we could properly discuss uh, your performance in it Kez because I I can't wait to find out about you know the entire process of, of working on this game I mean I I played the game a bit before, but this was this was a really good opportunity to revisit it, and it's still just as tense and atmospheric as it ever was. Like I love how claustrophobic it is. I like that the spaceships you're on, 
you know, they don't feel like a massive sci-fi space opera vessel like in Star Trek. It's very realistic in terms of its condensed space and, you know, sort of efficient maximization of the spaceship. So it means that everything is is very narrow. There's no wasted space. And this obviously makes you feel extra trapped when a big old drooling E.T. comes tip-tapping along the vents. <laughs> and I, I, I love how they, they're really faithful to the, the 70s movie sci-fi aesthetic for right. all of the game's menu and the in-game HUD system. So it, it feels just incredibly authentic and retro. And it, it, it's a great experience. And it definitely feels a lot more faithful to the original Alien film than, than I mean, any of the Alien versus Predator bump that we've seen over the years. And the game gets you on board straight away because the first thing you hear as soon as you start the game, you hear the voice of Sigourney Weaver. Classic tactic to remind the audience of why they love the original to get, you know, to get you on side. And, and it works a charm. Like you're absolutely sold that this is a proper alien experience right from the off. And then you can just, I mean, step into, well, I mean, step into your shoes, literally. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. Like you look down and in the game and, and you see your legs. Uh, it's, it's, it's mad. Chris. You're the resident jumpy man of this trio. I was very, very (laughs) pleased to finally get you to play through this. How did you find it? Oh, boy. I mean, first and foremost, an apology to you, Kez. The the game scared me shitless. And and as such, (laughs) I I can't claim to have smashed through the whole story and seen all of your work on this title. Like, (laughs) what I can say, though, is that what I did see through i don't know my peripheries i guess as i thought to actually look at the screen sometimes (laughs) this is an incredibly strong survival horror game and it uses like you said jonathan the established universe of the the first two alien films to make a canonical sequel that is more deserving the franchise than most of the films in the series since (laughs) like i know i know everyone's got wildly different opinions on kind of alien 3 and, and resurrection and the prometheus and covenant oh but either way this this is a better story and a a better continuation of that world i think than almost any of those i've been playing it on the switch and and firstly i I really want to give the porting team credit for making perhaps the most visually impressive game on the console like the, Mm. the switch the switch is sometimes the recipient of some pretty subpar translations from meteor consoles and and the you know and pcs but alien isolation is presented with a clarity that means all of that lovely like retro futurist tech, every dynamic shadow, every scale on the horrible xenomorph, <laughs> and, and maybe strangely for you to look back on Kez, every pore on your face is is rendered impeccably, like it's a great looking game. Wow. I think the reason that so many later alien films fall down for me is because they don't have the tension of the first film. And that film in particular, more than more than its sequel, which was a bit more action heavy, was just a masterclass in restraint. Like so much of that first film is just about waiting to see something. And then as the horror starts to unfold, realizing alongside Ripley that with a creature like the Xenomorph, there is no such thing as a safe room anymore. And this game really nails that feeling perfectly. It it meant though that I could deal with playing this game for the first hour or two, <laughs> because at that point, the kind of in-universe threat of the Xenomorph had yet to be established on screen. And I obviously knew that it was going to make an appearance at some point, and I, I know games enough to assume that I'm not going to be sucker punched in the opening minutes by a monster that had yet to be introduced formally. But that doesn't <laughs> stop the game even at that point from dripping with atmosphere. You know, every kind of soft jump scare, like a pipe hissing or an air duct shuttering just out of view. Every time I had to pause the game and just take a moment's break before I carried on, <laughs> I, I'm so susceptible to that kind of jump that I really had to steal myself. 
And then when I did get to the point when the Xenomorph does make its first appearance, first in a cutscene that I could kind of handle because it was hands-off at that point, but then as a persistent roaming gameplay threat, I, I just buckled. Like, that was the point I, I really struggled to carry on. And there's, there's a point shortly after it appears that you have to kind of backtrack, make your way to an open area that you need to hack a door that you didn't previously have access to to kind of move forwards. And I knew the alien was then on the loose. So I was walking pretty tentatively, aware that it was it was out there. But even knowing how it works, I, I was genuinely taken aback when I entered that sort of concourse area and then overlooking the door I was trying to get to, the alien just walked into view. Like it's just having a little stroll right in the place I need to be. And it really made me think of, the film signs like there's a scene in that just film a, yeah when i'm sure you know which one i'm going to say when there's an alien hand that just slowly appears from a door behind a character yeah and when i saw that in the cinema i inhaled so loudly that groups all around me laughed out loud um <laughs> and <laughs> although i have slightly more control over my bodily functions as a 30 something year old man <laughs> seeing the creature stood in the exact position where I needed to be gave me that same sort of fright. Like I, I was really stricken with fear at that point and, and seeing it just so casually loom into view and then nonchalantly move away into the background. It reminded me in this game that this is not a scripted baddie that just pops up on cue at points A, B and C. It's a properly autonomous thing that exists purely to make my time as Ripley as difficult and as nervy as possible. So yeah, it's it's a nightmare of a game to play for someone like me, but it's it's a very good sci-fi game. It's an extremely good licensed game, and I think it's an excellent immersive sim and great survival horror game. And yeah, I mean, what a project to be a part of, to, to be part of kind of a, a hugely revered franchise like that, and arguably be in the best video game adaptation that series has ever had. Oh yeah. Mincy, how about you? How did you get on with it? Well, I, I, I mirror everything that Chris has said. There's a couple of things that I want to pick up on. First one is that I'm 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 really crap at this game. Um, <laughs> I'm about I'm, I think I'm about an hour in and I'm stuck on a pit. That's just you just have to sneak past three people. I can't do it. <laughs> I don't know what. I do. <laughs> I met Axel, uh, the bald fella, who was like, uh, okay, I, I want a place on your ship and I won't shoot you. Uh, he he got killed by the by the xenomorph and then I had to wait for the. For the, for the old shuttle bus and knowing <laughs> that this thing was now on the loose and that was oh no, I didn't like it very much oh that's this <laughs> classic classic horror game tactic that yeah. is a bit in yeah. Resident Evil 4 where you're, you're in this underground bit and you, you're fairly safe uh, and then you, you call for a lift and it says the lift is going to take a few minutes it's like thanks that's Chekhov's <laughs> few minutes there uh, and then and then the next thing you hear is just like a massive beastie crash through the ceiling somewhere in the basement and you know then you've you've got to oh, you've got it you've got to just like avoid it and evade it and try not to die with it there whilst you're waiting for this lift it's awful it's awful and and you know in this game it's even worse because there's a bus involved it's probably a replacement bus let's yeah, be honest yeah and the second thing was is such a minor thing but it was i don't know if it was intentional but it was the most effective unsettling thing that i think i've ever seen in my very limited experience with horror games about 20 minutes into the game i picked up flashlight batteries and i thought oh shit am i meant to have a flashlight 
<laughs> all I've got is this. <laughs> all I've got is this flare that just sort of goes. <laughs> <laughs> I, a flashlight is so much more discreet. I bet that this this bloody flare is gonna make the alien like sniff me out and attack me. I bet. I, I bet this is like this is an in-game hard mode thing that I'm holding <laughs> in my hand here. I, 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 I yeah. I spiraled for about ten minutes and then uh, and then you know my bold Bessie was like, oh, take that flashlight and uh, some batteries as well. So for those ten minutes, I was oh. I, I, I was rattled, let's say. <laughs> yeah, spooky, claustrophobic. Uh, looks great, even on the Switch. So often in first-person games now, you sort of you do get some games where they do render your character's legs yeah. as you're walking, and it always looks shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is absolutely no offence to your legs. <laughs> I'm getting to that. It either looks crap or they just don't render them at all. <laughs> so to have a game where the character you're playing is uh, is, is actually um, modelled on somebody doing those movements gives a very a, a very subtle believability to when you're looking down because you know you are scared <laughs> and uh, it's not just you're not just seeing a leg go like this. I'm making a movement with my arm that nobody can see, so I'll stop. Great um, podcast material. Yeah, it's nice to have legs in the game that actually look like they meant to, they're doing what they're meant to be doing instead of just somebody like just programming them in and just making a wild assumption about how they look when you move. Absolute top leg work, I'll say. Um, so mad as it is, that game is now ten years old. Perhaps. Kez, you can take us back to how you how did you land the role in the first place? Was there like a lengthy audition process? What was what was that like? Gosh, I've been I have been kind of trying to revisit because like you say, it's so long ago now. It's trying to remember exactly what happened when, but I definitely have key <laughs> key moments. I mean, first off, just to say I'm a massive horror fan. I loved the films. I loved I loved the franchise anyway. So of course, like you said, I was I was so chuffed to get the part, yet I suppose back then I didn't quite realise what I was getting involved with, if I'm honest. I remember being, I remember I was doing a, a theatre job, like a Dennis Kelly play in um, the Sherman in, <laughs> in Cardiff. And I kind of got the, the call from my agent while well, I was about to go and do a interview for a newspaper. And then I was like, oh gosh, you know, I was just, I was quite new. I'd done Remember Me and 007 Legends. And I was like, I can't say anything. I can't say anything. I remember going in, it, like I say, it was Kate Saxon who I'd met on the circuit a bit in theatre auditions. And she'd, you know, she was quite established already in the game world and she handles auditions brilliantly so we went in for the audition process and again like she you know put it on its feet and it was very much about it was very much like a film casting or anything you know you kind of go into the character you direct it you play with it and I and I remember at the time thinking you know I, I can relate to her I felt like it was quite a good fit and the kind of roles that I like to play. And it was definitely something that appealed to me. And I felt like we were kind of on the same page with it. Anyway, so I got the phone call a couple of weeks later. And then the whole process took me off the map for a bit, actually. Because like I say, we we did it. We did a table read. We had all the actors, you know, William Hope was in it. And we, we, mm. we did it in the volume for months. Sometimes it would be a, a couple of weeks on, a couple of weeks off, I think, from what I remember. Alistair was there from Creators of Assembly a lot of the time. It was very much recorded as you would, as much as you could, as a film in chronological order, working very much, like you say, the narrative of that 
for the game it was so important wasn't it the kind of mother daughter relationship and again the, yeah. the writers on it are doing so well now and they were doing well at the time you know and there was a lot of talk at the beginning of how they really wanted the story to sell as much as the gameplay and looking back now having kind of done it for 11 years or something it's it's incredible where it was at for its time and like you say these AAA games they really realized early on how important it was to kind of stay true to the films and make sure that the narrative was really strong and I, I think they they did do that right I've, absolutely yeah, yeah. It's, it's what makes it such a standout especially in in the series of uh, of alien games but but even more so in the in in the pretty ropey category of just movie tie-in video uh-huh. games because yeah. I mean, so many of those are just churned out, obviously, just to, to cash in on, on the success of a film without much sort of consideration for, for actually providing a good game experience. This is, you know, a really good example of, of not just, just uh, having, you know, a narrative be as big a focus as the gameplay, like we we're saying, but to have that linked to, to a cinematic universe as well, really, really raised the bar. And I think showed that you can approach games in very different ways you don't just have to go bigger harder faster scarier whatever you can actually strip it back to make something that's actually more effective and and you know stands the test of time you know because like we've played this like 10 years on and it it feels like a modern game still you know which is not the case with uh with a lot lot of games that are 10 years old now right yeah i see that i see that in some of the other things i've worked on too because what we went into with with it being um sony and and fox you you know we were able to go i remember going to sheffield one day just to get my ears done you know to get my ears scanned (laughs) properly Um, it was crazy and you know for the whole and their likeness considering how long ago it was you know is is it's still so good and the head cams we use like sometimes we would do the motion capture and then we'd get reference material obviously for the voice and sometimes Mm. for the expressions and then other times you would you'd wear the head cam and try and get it all together or you know when when I was in space they'd weigh me down there were so many things they tried to take into consideration largely down to Kate Saxon again as the director because you know she very much pushed to to get the performances to the level she wanted them and she she got a great cast together with you know some great you know well-known TV people as well as getting some of the the people involved from the actual film and so it was a real priority and it felt like that like I say you know there was there's a scene when we're all on a rope crossing and you know we were all there and they tried to weigh it down correctly or you know a lot of the time you're just using scaffolding but in the trailer I did where I'm kind of using the um the machine the tracker you know Mm. I I was assembling that as as much as I could in real time with as they wanted it you know which again as a performer is obviously very helpful then the reference voice material we did after you know working for a couple of months in the volume because I think at that stage like we did on Squadron 42 now, for example, is a company I work with a lot, Side. They worked on both of them. During Squadron 42, we, we recorded live, but obviously that was a good few years later. Mm. When we were doing Alien Isolation, you had to do it separately. So you'd go to the studio and sometimes you'd wear the head cam and you'd look at your reference. And we did a lot. Obviously, I was doing the voiceover to begin with. And we did probably coming up to two months, three months of that with me doing the voice. And then it was kind of a couple of couple of months after that when... It went to, you know, Sony and Fox and as happens quite a lot in the gaming industry, you know, they used uh, authentic American accent in the end, which was at the time, (laughs) you know, you have to kind of leave your ego at the door. And I I remember kind of, I, I think if I'd have known then 
Uh, what an incredible, you know, how it would, like you say, stand the test of time and how yeah. much it's a part of the franchise. I mean, wouldn't it be lovely to be the whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I've got the action figures. I'm in that world. I love that character, you know, so I'm obviously still very thankful and I get it. I also get it. You know, this is a massive budget and you want everything to be as accurate as possible. So I think they absolutely made the right call. And what was great from that, what came from that was a really great relationship with John McKellen. I don't know if you, you know, from No Code, he was he was the game's UI lead artist. Mm. And then he went on to make his own company and then I got to do observation with him off the back of Alien really. And and that was incredible to be in kind of my own accent and creating another character in space. So there were so many brilliant things that not only the process was brilliant of Alien Isolation and working with all those incredible people, you know, post that it's offered me so many opportunities and, you know, within within the gaming world, it's only been a blessing really. And yeah, and obviously so cool that it's part of Aliens, which is to me my probably my favourite horror of all time. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of like, obviously... This game uses your likeness. You know, Amanda Ripley looks like you. It's your face on the box. It's your face <laughs> in the game. Like you said, you've, you've got the action figure. How did that conversation go when it came to using your likeness? Was it something that you knew that they were going to use your face when you got the part? Or was that something that was discussed kind of later in the process? And how, how, how does that feel then, you know, to see your face in this piece? So it's an interesting one because agents these days are getting really au fait with how the gaming industry works, but they've kind of been learning along with me. And um, and obviously I've been doing it on quite a regular basis. So sometimes I'm kind of a little bit a, a little bit ahead of them. So now these days it's kind of already in the contract and you know upfront you're going to be the likeness. I think at that point we were, it was being talked about and then it was all kind of coming together and being discussed as it was being formed. I do know that at the very beginning they wanted everybody in it. You know, they wanted real characters Characters, the actors to be doing it all and to be creating these characters from themselves and definitely the conversations later on down the project like you know because um, Sigourney Weaver's mother was used wasn't she as the photo of oh, yes. Amanda yeah. Ripley and I, I then was privy to conversations of how they were comparing that you know and, and I never thought I looked anything like Sigourney Weaver you know <laughs> I wish and then and then it's funny as soon as you say it a lot of people were like I can see aspects now yeah. and you, you suddenly see why so it was definitely on their radar before I knew it was yeah which is mm. lucky me thanks mum and dad <laughs> I guess. great face work well done yeah, good face work 10 <laughs> percent yeah and, and what, what about then the the response to the game as well like obviously the game came out it got great reviews people were loving it you also must have had like the full force of the geek fandom come crashing down upon you. <laughs> it must have been pretty intense. What was that like? <laughs> Do you know, it was amazing. For me, I'd obviously had Remember Me and a few other games that people had played, but I'd never anything to, like you say, this this extent, this this franchise, this world to go into, to, to be recognized as a face of. It was um, more exciting than I was prepared for. You know, get, getting the action figures, getting the response from people, people I know, playing the game and watching people I know play the game and kind of getting my own head around how how brilliant it was. You know, I remember I had quite a few messages at one stage because the PlayStation 4 came out, didn't it, with a microphone that if you were getting mm. a cup of tea or something, the alien would hear you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea about, you know, this is all stuff I'm learning. My best mate started streaming on Twitch um, during lockdown. She was never a gamer before and she's absolutely obsessed with Zelda. <laughs> and so it's definitely brilliant. something I'm now looking into 
getting by the way so I can play Alien Isolation like you guys said earlier but I'm starting mm. to get a new understanding of just how much Alien Isolation is appreciated what was really interesting for my journey in particular with the game having been the voice and everything to begin with was that I think there was probably going to be an incredible opportunity because it was Aliens and I know there was potential of going like to San Diego Comic Cons and um, oh, yeah. yeah and now I'm kind of gonna be starting going to comic cons anyway so it's all good but i think at the <laughs> at the time um it was like oh gosh this platform is huge and there's and there was so much appreciation for it anyway and obviously on social media i got a lot of great feedback and you know it was lovely to to read how much everybody was enjoying it or getting terrified by it you know and <laughs> i had a lot of feedback from creative assembly and you know it was it's obviously was received so brilliantly and ticked all the boxes it was supposed to so that was brilliant but yeah, again, it would have been incredible to kind of maybe see see the fans of the game face to face and and hear and hear all that, which I didn't quite get to experience there. But like you say, it's it's a game that stood the test of time, and I, it's still for me, even though I've done quite a plethora of games now, it's still the one people come back to. Mm. It hasn't diminished the fact that I'm I'm so chuffed to be a part of it. And you know, I'm I'm a bit of a geek at heart, which I'm proud of. And to have an action figure, I remember one day. I think this was after this was after the voice had changed and stuff. They were so lovely. They called me up and they were like, "Will you still come back and do the publicity shot?" So you know the kind of the, the famous poster with me kind of looking at the alien with the with the flamethrower. Yeah. 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 You know that was all. I got to have it fitted to my size. All that made oh, so cool. It, yeah. How how amazing is that? Yeah. And it still is <laughs> probably the most talked about game of all of my work, which you know I'm really proud of. Fantastic. Well. I would absolutely love it when lockdown is over, when the world is, is back to somewhat sort of normal. We'll have to find a time where perhaps you can come and accompany me streaming the game and you can go through it with me. Do you know what? <laughs> Seriously, I would love that. And I've kind of been hoping to do something like that. And it would be great Excellent. if it was with you. Yeah, let's do that. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Can't wait. That'd be great. So before we wrap up, is there anything you're working on at the moment that you can uh, that you can tell us about? Stuff that we can uh, we can look forward to seeing come into a games console in the next few years? Yes, is the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> There's, you know, so many exciting things that I think you guys are going to love that I'm I'm involved in over the next two years. Mm-hmm. At least at least five things, some like three voice and maybe maybe about five, you know, performance or motion capture wise. So I look forward to dropping you little messages when <laughs> when I go. This Fantastic. was one of the ones I was talking about. Or <laughs> um, and there is there is something called, do you know, the the John Carter War World of Mars, which um, yes is coming uh, to as a game now that I was approached about a while ago, and it's 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 a it's a new kind of way of doing it for me because this is an incredible guy that's doing it as a as a fundraising. He's kind of got it all. He's got all the rights to it from the from the company. It's all going ahead, but he's kind of going about it. I guess not dissimilarly to um like squadron 42 they did a platform like that didn't they where people kind of they're mm. creating the game whilst developing it still are i think with squadron 42 right yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's ongoing so um there's jcwom.com which is where you can follow that and see the, you know i think that's going to be the conversations i've had i'm really excited about it and i play the princess in that when it happens but that's that's a way down the line and um but i'm i'm really excited to be on board i think it's going to be it's going to be a good one that's fantastic that's very exciting that's something i can tell you about (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait to see what you do next and i can't wait to play play what you do next as well it'll be it'll be fantastic and uh yeah perhaps we can we can have you on the show again to talk about those games when they do come out i'd love that and thank you i genuinely love your 
your podcast. I've I've kind of binged listened to probably about four or five over the past week, and oh, I, I've learned a lot. And I've you know I think I think more of us performers should actually. I think it's it's really really helpful and entertaining to your funny guys. Well, <laughs> thank you. Oh, stop it! Stop it! Stop. Don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> I need this to live. So there we go. What you've been listening to is a is a several trips down memory lane of uh, one Kezia Burrows, the fantastic performance, vocal, motion actor, performer extraordinaire. Thank you so much for joining us, Kez, and for sharing these uh, these 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 memories of these these fantastic experience with us. Thank you, guys. I've loved revisiting them, honestly, and hearing your takes on them too has been brilliant. Thank you. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do that. If you go to facebook.com slash our3cents, you can chat to us there about games that you're playing. Have you played any of these games that we've been talking about in this episode? Let us know. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your stories about them. You can also find all of our video content on YouTube. If you search for our3cents, subscribe to the channel, watch some of those videos. We've got loads of stuff up there from our streaming content to some little documentaries entries that Chris has made and some other fun stuff as well. We're also on Instagram at O3C Podcast and occasionally we do stream live on Twitch at O3C Podcast as well or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. I'm Clement underscore Boo. And if people want to keep up to date with you, Kez, on uh, on what you're working on, what's the best way for people to follow you? You can go to Kezia Buzz on either Instagram or Twitter. I seem to use Instagram more, don't know why. Or at keziaburrows.com. If you're really enjoying what we're doing on the podcast and you want to support us a little bit more, then we do have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash our3cent. If you head over there, you can see a whole bunch of perks uh, that you can get in exchange for some different tiers of pledgery. There are things like full bonus episodes, exclusive deleted scenes and outtakes. There's uh, custom artwork up for grabs. There's there's bonus video content. There's even the chance to record an episode with us. There's loads of stuff. And please do join us next week where we will be kicking off our third favourite video game, starting with Chris's third favourite video game of all time. Oh, it's good. It better be. It's a good one. <laughs> and now, a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. Fans of video games, history, or video game history, will definitely want to listen to Retronauts. Each week, Bob Mackey and myself, that's Jeremy Parrish, dive into the stories behind the greatest games of the past and the history behind the hits of today. Check us out every Monday on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hi, Stu. Hi, Luke. Do you fancy doing a podcast covering every segment of every episode of the beloved 90s cartoon Animaniacs? No, I hate Animaniacs. Join me, Luke, the Warner lover, and him, Stu, the Warner resistor, for Animani Chat, covering every segment of every episode of the hit 90s cartoon Animaniacs, as well as its many spin-offs, including comics, video games, and the movie, not to mention the recent reboot. It's gonna be explainy to the max. Oh... 